Well, for the past few months, I have been making my way through the story of the Bible, which is God's story. And as you saw from the video, God's story is really broken up into four main parts. All right, you have creation, you have the fall, the rescue, and then the restoration. So today, we're going to continue in part three, the rescue. And the rescue actually begins with a promise from Genesis chapter three. Right after Adam and Eve uh, defy God and break the commandment not to eat the fruit of this particular tree, God automatically comes in and begins to rescue us from Satan and sin and death. And so here's what it says in Genesis 3.15. The Lord is speaking to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity, in other words, strife, between you and the woman and between your offspring, which is plural, and her offspring, which is singular, referring to the Messiah or Jesus. I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring, and he, Jesus, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, this rescuer, this man that's coming that God's going to send to rescue the whole entire human race, will deliver a death blow to Satan. And indeed, he did that through the, the, the cross and the resurrection. And so, as you go on in Genesis, you see that God promises Abraham that this man is going to be a descendant of Abraham. And then he makes that same promise to Abraham's son, Isaac, that this man, this, this rescuer will come through the line of Isaac, and then to Jacob as well, and to his 12 sons. And then we see that Abraham's offspring is preserved through one of Jacob's sons, Joseph. Remember, Joseph is mistreated by his brothers, sold to slave traders. They take him into Egypt. Uh, he's, he's sold to the captain of the bodyguard. And he's in prison for several years, mistreated, uh, but God shows him favor. And eventually he gets out of prison and Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph interprets that dream and Pharaoh says, well, you need to be in charge of the kingdom here because he had shown Pharaoh that his dream had predicted seven years of famine or seven years of prosperity and then seven years of famine. So Joseph is in second command uh, to Pharaoh. And so... Pharaoh says, why don't you have your family come from Canaan to Egypt? And so 70 people, you have, you have Jacob, 12 sons and their families. So 70 people leave Canaan and go to Egypt. Well, eventually that Pharaoh dies and Joseph dies and there's another Pharaoh and he decides to enslave uh, the Hebrew nation because they've grown from 70 to about 2 million. And he's afraid they're going to side with their enemies and, and might be an enemy in the long run. So they enslave them for 400 years. But God sends Moses then, speaks to him through the bush, sends Moses and his brother Aaron uh, to free the children of Israel through the plagues there in Egypt. And so from the rest of, of uh, the books of the law, from Exodus 13 to the end of Deuteronomy, the nation is wandering in the desert for 40 years. And during that time, God gives Moses the five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And as you heard in the scripture reading today from Deuteronomy 34, that brings us to the end of Moses' leadership and life over the nation of Israel and the beginning of Joshua's leadership. And so Joshua is the next man up. So go ahead and open your Bible or your device to the book of Joshua. That'd be the sixth book in the Old Testament. And as you do that, let me ask you a question. What are the most important events 
that take place in this part of God's story? What are the most important events that take place in this part of God's story in the book of Joshua? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to share the main events with you right now, okay? I've picked out seven. There's a lot more. I mean, there's 24 chapters and a lot of things that happen, but we're taking sort of a 30,000-foot view. And so here are the things that I've picked out to share with you. First of all, we see the transfer of leadership from Moses to Joshua. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll read. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. And listen to verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, when you're an assistant to someone, and Joshua was an assistant for about 40 years to Moses, I mean, he's seen the plagues. He's seen the dividing of the Red Sea. He's seen kings already being defeated on the uh, east side of the Jordan River. But now Joshua is in charge. And if you've ever been in that position where you're sort of the, the second person, the assistant, and you move into the lead role, there's a little bit of pressure that comes along with that, as well as some fears that come along with that. Wow, I'm in charge now. I have to lead. I have two million people depending upon me to make good decisions, and we've got a lot of battles ahead of us. We've got a lot of enemies out there. So God does two things. He says, I'm promising you'll get this land. My word is good. Second thing he says, trust me. That's how you can be strong and courageous. Faith always overcomes fear. The more faith you have, the less fear you have. And so God encourages Joshua as he begins to be, the, he's the next man up and he takes leadership of the nation. All right? The second thing we see is the nation of Israel crossing the Jordan into the promised land. Look at chapter 3. I'm just going to read verses 9 through 13 as they get ready to cross the Jordan River into this promised land that they've been wandering around and waiting to go into for 40 years. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, 
Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. A lot of enemies. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. In other words, my presence is going to go before you. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand still in one heap. Remember, they've already been through the Red Sea. So the, the people at that point in time at the Red Sea who were children are now, 40 years later, they are the grown-ups and they are the leaders, and now they're getting to see another water divide where the, God stops the water from flowing and gives them dry land to cross over into the promised land. And God says, by this act, by this miracle, you'll know that everything else I'm saying to you and the promise of this land is yours. But I want you to see all along that there's action involved from Joshua and the people. They still have to go in and fight, and they still have to take it. They're just not, you know, sitting down and saying, oh, God, you just, you just do it all. No, God says, we're going to do it. I'm going to do it, but you have to participate in the battle, and there's going to be a lot of battles. Sound like life? Yeah, that's life, Okay. The other thing we see is the wall of Jericho falling down and Israel capturing the city. So look at chapter 6. This is one of those stories that kids learn in Sunday school and, and you know, have books about it and all the, the walls of Jericho falling down. I think there's even a song, but it's not coming to me right now, so you're probably thinking, oh, good. So look at verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up. And why was, the, why was it shut up? Well, because they had heard about the nation of Israel. They knew the, the, the peoples that Israel had already conquered, and they knew that God was with Israel. And so they're, they're shut up tight. Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in, and the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. With its king and mighty men of valor, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. So in other words, on six consecutive days, the men of war go out and march around the city one time. All right, uh, verse 4. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet... Then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Now, if you go down to verse 10, kind of interesting, just sort of add a little bit onto this, the drama of this whole event. Verse 10, but Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Don't you wish you could do that with your kids? I'll let you know when it's time to shout. Until then, mum's the word. Here are all these ferocious, you know, thousands and thousands of warriors marching around this city. Not a peep. Six days. 
Seventh day, priests are out, got the horns, marching around the city seven times, not a word. And then God speaks to Joshua, it's time. Tell the priest to blow the horn. So I just happened to have a ram's horn with me. Are there any babies that are sleeping in here right now? Well, you get the idea. This, this also reminded me of a uh, tradition with Taylor University's men's basketball team. Were, were you ever there when they did that? Did you ever play at Taylor during the... They have a, the last home game before Christmas break, they call it Silent Night. They all come in dressed up like, you know, characters, comic, cartoon. You know, they're just all dressed in kind of a... It's, it's kind of a... It's right before finals. Everybody's kind of going crazy. So anyway, they come into this game. When the game starts, nobody says a word. I mean, it's completely quiet. What, no matter how the team's doing, nobody says a word until the 10th point is scored by Taylor. And when the 10th point is scored, pandemonium, it just breaks out for several minutes. And as I researched this last night, do you know how many games they've lost in about 20 years of doing this? Zero. They've won every single time. Just a little side note for you there, all right? Okay, let's move on here, all right? So they capture, they capture Jericho, and they're in the land, and now they're on the move, and they're going to continue to be on the move here, all right? But while they're doing this, they run into a little bit of a slippage. They disobey the Lord. The Lord corrects them. They, they repent. And then we come to chapter 8, and Joshua renews the covenant, and he reads the word. And I want you to think about our Sunday morning service, how we do this here on Sunday morning, okay? Look at Joshua 8.30. Chapter 8, verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And I just assume maybe it was just the Ten Commandments. I don't think he wrote all five books of the law. That'd be a lot of writing. And all, all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So, wanting to be biblical, I thought we'd just do that this morning. Um, we'll start with Genesis 1 and read through the end of Deuteronomy. If you'll stand, please, in the honor of God's words. Anyway, it was probably a little while uh, if, if they were reading all the words then. But anyway, here's the point. Here's the point of this, why this renewal is important. You ever talk to someone, you say, oh, read, read this book of the Bible or, or read this section. And they say, well, you know, I've, I've read that before. I know that story. 
I mean, I run into people like that all the time. They have a little bit of a, a handle on what the Scripture says, but as all of us pretty well know, I think, when you read a Scripture and you really ask the Holy Spirit to open up the living and active Word of God in your life, there's always more you can learn. Plus, as you learn various sections, you begin to piece together things like a puzzle, and, and the big picture becomes more uh, evident and clear to you. So just because we've read the Scripture before, we have to continue to read it because our enemies that are out there continue to feed us the things of the world, the things of the flesh. If you don't have truth constantly flowing through you, then you can gradually begin to just kind of go with the flow and just kind of glide down the, the culture. So it's important that we continue to read God's Word, not only in public but in private, in our families. And then notice also that they renewed the covenant. Now, you know, we, we participate in communion every week. And at least in, in, in my view of it, that's how we're renewing our covenant with the Lord. We're acknowledging what Christ did on the cross. We're acknowledging that he rose from the dead and through that defeated Satan, sin, and death. And that all we must do now is to receive his body that was given, his blood that was shed, and come into covenant with him in a covenant relationship where we acknowledge what he's done and we recommit ourselves to serve him and him alone. Because at the end of Joshua, you'll see one of those lines that you see on plaques, you know, choose you this day whom you will serve. When you come here every morning or every Sunday and you hear the word of God and you participate in communion, what you're doing really is you're saying, I choose to serve the Lord. I choose to serve, uh, to acknowledge what he has done and to live under that covenant. And as he is mine, I want to be his. Isn't that beautiful? We get to do that each week which just reminds us of just how God does never leave us nor forsake us, how no man, no enemy really can stand before us because we have divine weaponry to take down those enemies. We can walk in victory because Christ is our victory. So let me move on. Next thing I see in this book is we see the sun standing still for about a whole day. Now, this is an interesting story. Um, the Gibeonites disguise themselves, act like they're from a very far country, and they come to the Israelites, and they make a covenant with them. But it's interesting that, the, that Joshua and the leaders did not consult the Lord on this. So they make a, a, a covenant with Gibeon. Afterwards, they find out that they're living very close. Well, there's five Amorite kings that decide they're going to attack Gibeon because Gibeon has sort of, is no longer an ally of theirs, and they allied themselves with Israel. So Gibeon, Gibeon calls out to Israel and says, come and help us. So Joshua goes, and they're defeating them, but the, the Scriptures say in chapter 10 that God threw down hailstones from heaven and that more of the enemy died from the hailstones than actually from being killed by the Israelites with their swords. And then look at verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon. Now, I guess Joshua was thinking, well, if God can make waters stand still, he can make the sun stand still. Sun, stand still. Moon, in the valley of Agilon. 
And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. In other words, Joshua needed the day to be extended. He didn't want the sun to set and to lose out in being able to defeat the enemy thoroughly. Now, does the sun stand still? No, but that's the language. The earth rotation, probably God somehow miraculously just slowed the earth's rotation to where there was twice as much daylight on a single day. Now you ask, well, how did he did that? Well, he did that the same way he did when he created all of the universe out of nothing. That's how he did it. But isn't it wonderful that, this, that Joshua had such faith that he could say, okay, if you can make the water stand still and help us out, how about you know, extending the day a little bit? So, Don, when you've got a lot to do one day and, the, and the, you can see the end of the day drawing near, just you know, ask, see what happens. Yeah. If he, doesn't, if he doesn't make the sun stand still, maybe you'll find a flashlight. He'll, somehow he'll help you out there, but that, that was such a miracle there. Um, uh, so as they continue to, to conquer more and more, uh, a lot of kings are conquered, but there's still a lot of land left. Th- think about it in your own life here in this way. Uh, they're going into a territory where they have to actually take possession of the land that other people claim is their own. So there's going to be a lot of warfare. And these people, by the way, that they're destroying are very wicked and evil. And kind of like God used the flood to wipe out an evil generation, this is God's way of wiping out the Canaanites and the other groups that were very evil in this land. But as much as Joshua had, had done in the time he was there, and I forget how many years it was that he lived in, in the promised land, there was still more to be conquered. Uh, it says here in chapter 13, verse 1, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. <laughs> I'm sorry, that just struck me kind of funny, you know? <laughs> Uh, you're old and advanced in years. Okay, thank you, Lord. I appreciate it. Thanks for making me aware of it. <laughs> Don't even need a mirror now, I, I know. Um, and he says, that, but there remains yet very much land to possess. And then the next few chapters talk about how Joshua begins to say to each tribe, here's your allotment of land, here is your inheritance. And I'm assuming that this is based on instruction that was given from God to Moses handed down to Joshua where each tribe should be given an allotment of land. So what Joshua, what the Lord helps Joshua to realize is this. He's not going to live forever. The next generation needs to be aware of what God's charge is to them in terms of the enemies that they should go out and conquer. And so Joshua does that. He says, you go here and you go here and you go there and defeat the enemies in those areas. Joshua realizes the whole land that God had given them was not going to be conquered in his lifetime. And the older you get in life, the more you begin to realize that, yeah, you know what? Living the life of Christ, accomplishing the things that he has purposed for us to do, we only have a little bit of that during our generation. So we do what we can, but the most important thing we can do is what we read about in Psalm 145, to pass along the mighty deeds, the great power and grace of our Lord to the next generations so that they can continue and be faithful.
because God will be faithful to us. And so he calls us to continue to pass along the truth and to recognize that we live in a world, a fallen world. We're in the process of being rescued and restored, but there's still enemies out there. And so Joshua sends them out. So let's skip some of that and just go to chapter 23 now. Let me just share some of the last words of Joshua with you here this morning. Chapter 23, verse 2. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officials, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. That point has been made. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. He reminds them where their victory is at. Go down to verse 6. Therefore be strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Go to verse 11. Be careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. So cling to the Lord, love the Lord. And then listen to this warning. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, there was still just a remnant of these, of this, these enemies, this evil around them. If you, if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Sounds like fun. Until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Wow. I'm going to give you this land. Obey me. It will always be yours. But when you stop clinging to me, when you stop loving me, and when you stop, when you start associating with people and allowing the culture to impact you more than you're impacting the culture, then don't expect me to show up and to give you great victories. And the Lord does the same thing with us. I mean, he, he loves us, so he disciplines us, tries to get our attention, tries to warn us, tries to help us to see that we're very close to the edge and to back up and to keep looking at him and following him. And that's what Joshua is doing here. Uh, let's go to verse 14 of chapter 24. Just a couple more passages here. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a great declaration, isn't it? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a reminder of our covenant commitment. It's, it's a command to battle. It's a battle cry. I mean, however you want to see that, I mean, that, that just gets my blood going. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No matter what the culture becomes like, no matter how many enemies assault us, no matter what God allows us to go through, I'm going to be true to Jesus. And that's what Joshua says. And we see, if you read some of the rest of the chapter, the, the people agree to that. Yes, that's what we'll do. Verse 31, 
It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. And let me give you a peek in Judges, which you can start reading now. In a few weeks, I'll bring you the book of Judges. In Judges, it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. At some point, from one generation to the next, those great wonders, those, those truths, the, the story of the rescue did not get properly passed along to the next generation. So instead of serving the Lord, they turn away from the Lord. It only takes one generation. And we may think it's been, already been lost in America and around the world, but it hasn't. God always has a remnant. And God always, he said, Jesus said, I will build the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're to be on the attack mode because we have the victory. We have almighty God to stand behind that. So what, let me give you three principles we can learn from the book of Joshua, okay? Three, three takeaways. First of all, God is faithful in every generation. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. He was faithful to Moses, faithful to Joshua, faithful to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on down the line. And he's faithful to us today. Second takeaway is the Lord will defeat every enemy we face. The battle is the Lord's. The victory is, belongs to the Lord. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's faithful. He will defeat every enemy. And then here's, here's where, where we come in. We must choose whom we're going to serve every single day. You have to wake up, and before the feet of your, your feet hit the floor, you should be acknowledging that this is the day the Lord has made, and it's for His glory. And God, direct me. Grab a hold of me. Use me like you've never used me before. Live, as, live like it's your last day to serve the Lord on this earth. Choose, make a choice to do that. You can't serve two masters, says in Matthew. You'll hate the one and love the other. So choose the Lord. As Moses says, choose, choose Yahweh, choose the Lord and live because he is our life. You know, Joshua was a great leader. And one of the reasons he was a great leader is he was a great follower. He assisted Moses for 40 years. Sometimes we're impatient with the time that God is teaching us and, and he's preparing us to lead in certain ways. We all become leaders at certain points in our life, even if it's just leading children or leading an associate, helping lead a neighbor one step closer. We're all leaders, but there's training that goes on to make us the leader that God wants us to be. Now with Joshua, when he took the lead, he was 79 years old. Moses was 80 years old when he took the leadership and went to Egypt and brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, I'm going to be 65 soon. So I got doing the math. I got, I got about 15 more years of training. And then, Grant, you better just watch out because in 15 years, I'm coming. I'm coming. You got 15 years to get it done because then I'm coming. So I want to ask you four questions as I end here this morning. All right, close your eyes. I want you to, to think about these things. 
Will you commit to memory all the times that God has been faithful to you in the past and trust his faithfulness in the future? Will you spend time writing down some of those times that God has been faithful to you and and keep it as a testimony and a testament? Betsy started this for our family a few years ago, and we have several stories of God's faithfulness that we can reread over and over and over again. Will you remember the battles of the Lord's and look to Him when the enemy attacks? Instead of being fearful, be faithful. Turn to Him and exercise faith. Turn to the Lord. Will you turn your life over to Jesus, the true hero of the story, and serve Him daily? It's a choice. And will you be the next man and the next woman up? Will you step up? You don't have to have such a clear picture of what God calls you to. You just have to sense when he's calling and take a step in the direction he's leading and trust him. But he's always calling the next man, the next woman, the next boy, the next girl. God is always calling. We need to listen. Father, help us to hear your voice. Help us to be like Joshua who stepped into big shoes. He had to fill the shoes of Moses. And yet you said that you were there with him. You'd never leave him or forsake him. And to be courageous and to go and to take what you had rightfully given to him and the nation of Israel. Lord, may we know the things that you've given to us, the promises that we have, and might we walk in them and exercise faith and be fearless. Help us to be warriors. In Jesus' name, amen.